Well, good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter 8, verse 25 through 40, in your Bible, your smartphone, your tablet. If you don't own any of those things and bring any of those things, then there's a Bible in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, as I say every week, we'd love for that Bible to be our gift uh, to you. Every single week, Bibles are missing, and we love to replace those, so take that home with you. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 25 through 40. We're going to be talking about I quit wasting opportunities. Before I do that, and as you turn to Acts chapter 8, today is a very monumental day in the life of Graceland in the fact uh, that today we start the countdown towards the grand reopening of our first neighborhood campus in Palmyra, Indiana. A very exciting time. And here's the reason why I'm so excited is because within a few miles uh, of that particular location, this location, and all the other churches around the world meeting together on this day, there are people who are far from God far from understanding his love for them. And we gather today excited around that. And we have an opportunity. And here's why there's an opportunity. In World War I, the ratio was that for every one person, or for every 433 people, there was one church. In 2017, for every 6,100 plus people, there is one church. That means we have a great opportunity, and my friends, the field is white for harvest. That's why we kick off a brand new series today called I Quit, and uh, I really believe this, this series is going to challenge you. It's, gonna, it's challenging me as I've been preparing uh, for it, and we dive into Acts chapter 8 in just a moment. Here's why I think it's going to be a challenge. Uh, the great football coach, Vince Lombardi, any Packer fans here this morning? Okay, a few. Uh, Vince Lombardi once said that winners never quit. And, and yeah, he, I think that he was right, and he was trying to motivate a football team. Uh, but I do disagree with the good coach, and, and here's where I disagree. There was a man that was in his 60s, and his golden years, I will say, all right? Because 60 is the new 40, right? And uh, so, can I get an amen from all 60-year-olds here today? Yeah. All right. So... Um, just going to see if you're awake, all right? So I'm talking to this individual, and, and we begin to talk about the Bible, and we talk about Jesus, and we begin to talk about all these truths, and, he be, and, and over a course of conversations, he, he went from this doubter to understanding that Jesus did live, he did die, he did resurrect from the dead, and he put all of his faith, all of his trust in this Jesus. And later on, he would go on to say, you know, the only regret I have is the fact that I didn't quit earlier in my life and surrender everything over to Jesus. And that's why I disagree with Vince Lombardi, because there is power in quitting, quitting certain things so that we can pick up and start the right things. You know, because there's all kinds of moments in our life that, that we're missing out on. This, that's the point of uh, really my message today. I quit wasting opportunities. If you have your listening guide and you want to pull that out, uh, there's going to be spaces to fill in the blank. And it's that, that, that main section there is I quit wasting opportunities. Everybody say that with me. I quit wasting opportunities. There's opportunities all around you. Uh, opportunities with your children, your friends, your neighbors, etc. My, 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 my daughter, I had a, an incredible opportunity just to laugh the other day. My little daughter Emily, she's four. Um, she's playing a little tonka toink piano in her room. And I said, hey, would you like me to give you piano lessons? And she said, and she, and it, well, and then I said, well, because I, Daddy could teach you how to play. And if you don't know, I, I took eight years of classical training. I almost went into piano in, in college as a major, but an injury and some things kind of changed and altered the course of my life. 
And, and so I probably could have started her out at least. And she looked at me and she goes, well, no, I already know how to play the piano. And she said, besides, how, what do you know about the piano? And I thought, well, there's a budding Beethoven right there, right? Full of humility too, I might add. Um, we, we shouldn't waste any opportunity uh, with those around us. My other daughter is a first grader, and I started coming, counting down the weekends, 624, 623, 622 weekends I have left before she graduates high school, right? There's quite... There's quite an opportunity for us not to miss one um, second. So in your listening guide, there's four different fill-in-the-blanks. I'd like for you to fill it in with me. And these are representing the networks in your life that God is orchestrating behind the scenes to put you in opportunities so that you will not miss opportunities with these individuals. And for us to say, look, I quit wasting opportunities in these networks that God has put me in. The first network is geographically. It's where you live. The second fill-in-the-blank there is vocationally. It's where you work. The third fill-in-the-blank is recreationally. It's, it's where you have fun. It's where you recreate. And the fourth is relationally. We're going to call it the 4-4 plan. And here's what I mean by that. that I, I really believe there's four people in every single one of those networks that God is calling you and moving you into so that you will not waste one opportunity. He's arranging. And as we look at Acts chapter 8, what we're going to see is his grace, his mercy, his salvation. He's going to see, we're going to see the power of his, his scripture and the power of a person willing to say, I quit wasting opportunities. As we've been in, in the book of Luke, or in Acts, for many, 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 many weeks now, we looked at Acts chapter 1, and we looked at what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the thesis of all of the book of Acts, when he said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and really, Jesus, he gives the table of contents to the entire uh, book of Acts. And we kind of say it this way, that first of all, he said that you're going to be my witnesses right there in J-Town, Jerusalem, and that covers chapters 1 all the way through chapter 7 of the book of Acts. But the gospel is not done just in Jerusalem. He says, no, you're going to be my witnesses then also in Samaria and the region, okay? And that is going to cover chapter 8. But the gospel is not done. It continues to scatter. And he says it's going to scatter to the ends of the earth. And that is in chapter 9 all the way through chapter 24, Okay. And, and that this is the synopsis of the book of Acts. And as we jump into Acts chapter 8, what we're going to find is an incredible um, storyline. You have uh, Stephen who has been stoned, and now the, uh, Christianity is being persecuted. And, the, and the, because of that, the gospel is now scattering. People are scattering away from Jerusalem. And what's happening is you begin to see um, messengers stop wasting opportunity and, and carry it forth. You also see... A man by the name of Philip, who we're going to get to know a little bit. And then you also see another man who travels a thousand miles on a quest to find purpose in his life. On a quest to find God. A thousand miles. I did a little bit of research. A thousand miles is here all the way to Disneyland in Florida and a little bit of further. But he's not traveling in, in a car or an airplane. He's traveling in a chariot. And he's going 20 to 40 miles an hour on a bumpy road all to find God. 
He goes to Jerusalem. He thinks that's going to be the Mecca of God. He doesn't find God there. The only thing he finds there is rejection. But then he is given a scroll, a scroll of the old uh, prophet in his book, Isaiah. We don't know how he got the scroll. We don't know if maybe they felt bad about uh, uh, kicking them to the curb. So they just threw a scroll at him. We're not sure. But he's on his way back from Jerusalem and he's make, trying to make sense of this scroll. And there is where we pick up verse 26. Look at it with me. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So here's this man named Philip, this, this deacon who is serving people. He leaves the area that, that he's serving and he goes on the road. And he doesn't know the whole destination. He just knows the first step. And this is how God guides. He doesn't guide and give you the whole blueprint. He just gives you one step at a time. And this is the hand of providence. This is an entirely Christian worldview. There's a French Impressionist painter by the name of Gauguin. And he would paint many lewd pictures over the course of his lifetime. But he, he's maybe most famous for this one particular painting. Um, and it depicted really the lifespan of an individual from birth to death. And he never wrote questions on his painting, only to sign his name. But he wrote three questions on his painting. And if you were looking at the painting, it would have been kind of uh, to my left up here in the right-hand corner if you were looking at the painting. And he wrote three questions. He wrote, Du va no o? And in French, that, that is this, that where did we come from? Where are we and where are we going? And, and this painter, he, he would die in his 50s living a life of excess, never to get those questions answered in his life. But in contrast, you have the world Christian view where providence guides. And the psalmist David in, in chapter 31 of it, of, of this book called Psalms. He says, But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. In his famous line, my times are in your hand. See, this is providence. This is him taking us one step at a time. And Philip is in the hand of providence. Let's continue to read verse 27. He believes this, so he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So God directs Philip to connect with this man, the, the eunuch. And, and this man is probably, as, as much as we know, has been emasculated. And that's why he's not allowed to worship, because, because of a, a tradition. He wasn't allowed to worship in the temple at all. We don't know how he got this copy of Isaiah, but he has this scroll. And he just so happens to be in Isaiah 53. We're just so thankful he wasn't in Leviticus or some other book. I don't know how Philip would have tied everything together the way he does, but he's in Isaiah 53. And the eunuch is reading a particularly interesting phrase. And the phrase is the Lamb of God, the suffering servant. And consequentially, here's the deal. This would lead him to ask and pine away over specific questions about the purpose of God in his life. And Philip is there because Philip is called. Every believer is called. Philip, he shows up. We're called to show up. We're called to be around people. You want to be 
ineffective? Well, then be by yourself. I know that's bad grammar, but that's what the point was that I was trying to make. Don't be around people. If you want to be effective for the kingdom of God, be around people like Philip. Then verse 30, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. In his book, Greg Laurie, he makes a really good observation here. Greg Laurie says, you know, Philip, he has something that not many people have. It's tact. Isaac Newton says this, tact is the art of making a point without making an enemy. Philip uses tact. He doesn't share his story. He doesn't tell him about the weather. He asks a question. There's power in questions. And it engages the Ethiopian instantly. Instantly, the Ethiopian, just he leans toward Philip. In verse 31, he says, How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? I love this, verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip, he goes right to Jesus from the Scripture. He takes the Bible, he takes the Scripture, which all points to Jesus, and he connects the dots for this Ethiopian. And I, and I love this. Jesus did this on the road in Luke 24. Philip is doing the same. And right then and there, the eunuch has this fresh encounter with Jesus. Philip knows, and, and we must know, that a fresh encounter with Jesus is all we really need. It's our soul's deepest desire. And right there, the eunuch has a fresh encounter with, with Almighty God. Verse 36, we continue to read. It says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Water was rare in that area. This is a desert. For that to be there, was, that was a big deal. And notice the word baptized. It's the, in the Greek, it means to be immersed. And right then and there, what an incredible scene. The Ethiopian goes public. In his new faith. He would have understood something. First of all, that in the Jewish faith, that was a very common practice to be baptized. But this isn't the Jewish faith, is it? This is following Jesus Christ. He had put his faith, his trust upon this Jesus who now he realizes is real and, and has been resurrected from the dead. And now this man is excited to testify to the world. What a scene that would have been. A little Jewish man and a large Ethiopian black man. Love it. It reminds me of a time that I, that, that I baptized this guy that was about a foot taller than me, much bigger, stronger guy. And we were in this very small baptistry, this, this one particular worship service. And I had told him right before I got ready to baptize, I said, make sure you bend your knees. And when I begin to lean you back, you kind of go with me because I, you know, I want to make sure that I get you down and then back up again. Okay. All right. And he says, okay, we're all good. And so something happened in between then and, and when I began to push him down into the water, he kind of not just didn't go gently. He just kind of 
went like that. And I didn't know he was going to do that. And I simultaneously kind of gave him an extra push. So I ended up body slamming him into the water <laughs> so hard. I'm not lying that the first like two rows got wet. And, and I baptized 40 people. They didn't even know it. But they all, they all went public in their faith. You know, I don't know if it was like that. But, but this Ethiopian right then and there, the gospel transcended a race. The gospel transcended geographic boundaries. His life is forever changed. I want to ask you have, you, have you ever gone public with your faith in baptism? Have you been immersed? If not, we'd love to, to take that step with you on your journey. You can let us know. You can call our church office. You can write in your, your connection card. I'd like to be baptized. We're, we're going to have a big baptism service September the 24th. They're my favorite worship gatherings because we get to see life evidence of transformation. Then in verse 39, look at it with me. It says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Literally, in the original language there, it's that he just disappeared. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So the Ethiopian, he just goes back the normal way, not the Star Trek, beam me up Scotty kind of way, right? But church historians would tell us that the Ethiopian eunuch would become the evangelist to all of the nation of Ethiopia. And the gospel is not just spreading to Samaria, but the gospel is now spreading to the ends of the earth. And there's great rejoicing when somebody truly comes to know this Jesus that changes and transforms our inward life into our outward life. And and I love that. You see this throughout Scripture. We see it in verse 8 in Samaria. We also see it even in the Psalms, in Psalm 51, when it says the joy of our salvation. Can you believe this? Can you believe that people are missing out on this true, evidenced joy that we experience when we understand our life and relationship with our God? But we must be able to say, I quit wasting opportunities so that God can utilize us in opportunities just like he did with Philip. Because Philip didn't maybe say those words, but he lived those words. So I want to ask you a question. How do we do that? How, how do we live like Philip? I want to give you three things that I made observations about in the life of Philip. And it's, and it's in your listening guide if you're taking notes. The first one is this, that Philip used his life and his lips to love. That Philip, he used his life and lips to love. Are there any pilots here this morning? Seriously, are I want to ask that. Are there any pilots? Could you raise your hand so I can see you? Any pilots here this morning? I wanted to ask you a question. Okay, there are no pilots. A couple of my buddies I asked, and they said they were going to be out of town. So we're just going to have to guess, okay? Are there any wings on an airplane that an airplane in mid-flight can do without? Let's just all agree no, okay? Like... (laughs) They're probably all needed, or they wouldn't be on there. But it's the same exact thing in the life of a believer of Christ. See, we need lips, but we also need our life in order to demonstrate love. We need both things. And and Philip demonstrates those things, doesn't he? And here's why we know that. Earlier in chapter 8, we know that Philip, he was a deacon. He, He loved 
people. He loved the, the unlovables. He, he was willing to see the one person. You know, anyone can get up on a stage like this and speak to a crowd, but can we speak to the one? Can we have the one on our mind? You know, a great missionary is someone who just loves from their heart. The Ethiopian is overjoyed because Philip would stop. Philip would love the individual. There are so many evidences of this throughout even our community, our church. I, I was in a funeral service th just this week, and uh, this one particular man was memorialized. And he would love the one for 30 years in this ministry we have called Trucker's Chapel. Jimmy Long leads that. He's been doing this ministry for over 30 years. And every single Sunday, they leave this, this gathering, and they go, and they love truckers. And this one man did it for 30 years, and this one story came out where this one trucker, or this hitchhiker, I should say, had hitchhiked from Chicago, and he was down, going on to Florida. And he happened to be in this trucker's chapel, and um, this, he was talking about how cold he was. Well, seeing that the trouble, that the man that was memorialized, he, he said, just hold on a minute. And he went to his vehicle, and he took off his long johns. And he folded up the long johns, and he gave the man his long johns. I'm telling you what, friends, that is love in action. I love that. Now, you may say this morning, well, I have a trouble loving people. At times, I don't really love people very much. I think we could all, if we really were honest, including this man right here, at times it's hard to love people, especially when they cut you off, right, in traffic. Or when your children say something that you don't really like, or, or when one of your friends is not the nicest person. So how do you love people? Well, how you love people is when you understand the gospel. When you understand the kind of mercy God gave you, when you understand the kind of grace that he, he demonstrates towards you, it sure does give you an ability and understanding how much in order to love others. If you want to know how to love people, if you need to generate a heart to love people, your wife, your husband, to not miss opportunities, just preach the gospel to yourself a few times. The second thing that we see in the life of Philip, number two, is, is that we must follow the leader. See, Philip, he, he follows the lead of the Spirit of God. He would not have gone on this trip. He wouldn't have found himself in the desert had he not been following the leader. Remember the old game, Follow the Leader? Do you remember that game? As a kid, you know, you have the one leader and you, everyone wants to be the leader, right? And you all take turns and you all walk around. It, it's kind of like that. The God is, is leading and we must look for his lead along the way. One particular pastor, his name's Bill Hybels. He's in Chicago, Illinois. And he tells a story about making his way in the middle of the dead of winter in Chicago to his trash can. And he's taking out the trash, and as he lifts up the lid in his trash can, he puts the, the trash bag into the, into the can, he puts the lid back on. He notices that a brand new neighbor next door has made the same trek in the snow as he. And the Spirit of God leads him to connect with the neighbor. But this inner dialogue begins to happen between God and Bill Hybels. And the dialogue goes like this, Not now, God. It's cold. I have things to do. And God says, no, I want you to connect with him. So a dialogue begins to happen. I want to ask you this morning, is there a trash can route that you need to be on as Jesus leads the way through his spirit? Is there a trash can route in your life, in your neighborhood, in one of those networks that we listed earlier that you need to be on in order for the spirit of God to lead you? 
Is he leading you right now? And maybe you've said, well, not now. When I get this done, when I get a little older, when I get things figured out, when, when I graduate this, when I do that, are there excuses you're offering up and, and God just wants you to just be willing to follow his lead? Bill Hybels would, would go on to become a friend of his neighbor. He, he would go on to walk that trash can route many, many, many weeks with that neighbor in tow. And he would leave that entire family to follow Jesus Christ. I, I just wonder how many neighbors, how many friends, how many co-workers, geographically, relationally, vocationally, the networks you're in, how many people, I believe there's four people in those networks that God is orienting your life in right now. But the question is, how do you follow the leader? What does it look like to have God lead your life? This is a big question, isn't it? Well, to the balcony to the floor this morning, I think we all can admit that at times it's, it's, it's hard to know. But I, but I believe there's a couple different ways that God leads us. First of all, he can write his name in our cereal, just like he does with Philip. He can speak into our heart, whether it's a, a clear, tangible voice or a, an inner dialogue that we, must, that we have between us and God. That his spirit can, can move in those ways. But his spirit can also move in as simply as you picking up the word of God and reading it for yourself. In fact, that may be the clearest way. He is speaking every single time that you pick this up and you begin to read it for your life. And he speaks over and over and over again. As he said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. As he said in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20. I want you to go and I want you to make followers of me. He's leading and all we have to do is ask. And he's going to require us to take steps of faith. Even when we don't like to take steps of faith. But he is a sovereign God. And we must trust the hand of providence that he is leading the way. And here's the third thing. The third observation that I believe that we see in Philip's life. Is that we need to introduce Jesus from his very book. We need to introduce Jesus from his very book. You see, we've got to understand the Bible in order to... Share. We need to understand what the Bible has to say for our life. That is why we have uh, the groups that we have so that we learn and we grow and we dig in and we're discipled in the ways of, of Jesus. That's why we have the Leadership Summit coming up next Sunday night so that we can understand Scripture and be prepared for these Ethiopian type of moments. Verse 30, Philip opens up and uses the Bible to share Jesus with this Ethiopian. Now, now notice this. He doesn't lecture. <laughs> One of my friends says, look, you don't have to be Google for God, okay? You don't have to know all things. You don't have to thump people with the Bible. Nobody likes to know it all. Nobody likes to know someone that thinks they have all the answers when you don't. And all the nuances of theology are all captivated in your mind, which you don't have. But we must dive in and try to understand the Bible, and lead people to Jesus from his, his very book. Maybe you're not a Christian today. Maybe you've never followed Jesus, but you're interested in the Bible. I would encourage you. There's someone in this, this, this gathering that would love to walk alongside you, whether it be getting into one of the groups or connecting one of our staff or tapping me on the shoulder or, or whatever the case is, we would love to show you the Bible and how it points to Jesus Christ. But if you do believe in the Bible, there's a fresh encounter with Jesus for you. And it's time for you, it's time for me to not waste opportunities and for us to begin to practice gospel conversations. Friend, when was the last time you 
had a gospel conversation? When was the last time you engaged an Ethiopian in your network? I think it's time for us to say, I quit wasting opportunities. I'm a big golf fan, and uh, Gary Player, one of the great golfers of all time, somebody once equipped to him, said, you're getting pretty lucky winning all these golf tournaments. And later on, Gary Player responded. He said, you know, it's so funny. The more practice I do, the luckier I get. And you get my point, don't you? That it's time for us to step up. To say, look, I quit certain things so I can start right things in our life. As I was thinking about it this last week, uh, I, I was processing what would this look like in real life. And one of our friends, and my wife and I, was sharing just this last week about a conversation, a gospel conversation that she had. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to invite her up and for her to share. So I think Jessica uh, Owen is here this morning. And I'm just going to ask that she would come up and share. So would you give her a hand as she comes on up? So Jessica was sharing this story uh, with us, and so I just asked that she would come up, and she was just going to read a little bit of her story with us. So would you share it with us? Sure. You want me to move out? I'll move out of the way here. So. <laughs> Hi there. My name is Jessica Owen. I'm a member at Graceland. My family and I serve and are involved here at GBC. I want to tell you a story that happened to me recently. My husband and I have both questioned whether his grandmother was a father of Christ. This past Sunday, I was talking to her about her children, and I felt the Holy Spirit wanting me to talk to her about salvation. So I just said, I have a question for you. How do you think you get to heaven? She thought for a bit and didn't know. I told her, I believe the only way is to put your full faith and trust in, Je in Jesus Christ as your way to have a personal relationship with God. Her response was, she went to a church that taught good works will get you to heaven. I asked her, do your kids have to work for your love? She said, no. I said, well, God feels the same way. We can never do enough or be good enough to, to get to heaven. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I went on to share for how share how God is on one side and we're on the other, and sin separates us from God. His dying on the cross made a way to have a relationship with Jesus. When we accept his free gift, we receive a relationship with Jesus and will spend eternity in heaven. I showed her several scriptures and left her with a question. She did not accept Christ that day, but I know I did what God wanted, and he will do the rest. I have just been praying that the words spoken will not leave her mind. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I love that. Thank you. Thanks for being faithful. Thanks for not wasting that opportunity. I love it. You're welcome. I like it. All right. Well, thanks, Jessica. You're welcome. So I want to ask you, would you say I quit wasting opportunities this morning? You just never know those networks of people that God has in your life, what he's orchestrating behind the scenes because he's preparing hearts. And we must be ready. We must be ready. This last uh, weekend, uh, we, I celebrated, uh, my family celebrated my mother-in-law's 60th birthday. 
and we had a great time celebrating. And my wife and um, uh, my sister-in-law worked probably 15,000 hours on this uh, scrapbook that they gave her. And uh, I was quite annoyed at the scrapbook company uh, after that quite long and ordeal, I'll have to say. But the book turned out really well. And in the book, in one particular page, you open it up, and it's the story of, their, of the neighbors writing their viewpoint on neighboring my mother-in-law and my father-in-law and bringing them things and starting a relationship and slowly seeing them receive Christ. And I remember uh, this last weekend, they just started tearing up. And I thought, had not those faithful people been there, my wife wouldn't be here. And had not the faithful people of old not been there for you, where would you be? So let's quit wasting opportunities. And let's step up to the plate as a church. Because as we do that, the gospel will spread. And lives will change. And people who are far from God will understand and hear the great news that Jesus has for every single person.